the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track, S P O T R A C, and get 40% off that first year subscription. Check out the Major League Baseball section because we're going to reference it today quite a bit with the Freddie Freeman chaos. Didn't want to leave, never wanted to leave, maybe didn't get an offer. Maybe never got got a chance to really negotiate with Atlanta after this off after this past uh, World Series championship season. Ends up on a pretty good Dodgers team at a pretty good price and is not happy about it right now. Has fired his agent. Cousin Dan's going to join me on the back end of the show to talk about that circus. But first, it's been a while since I've talked to the NFL. I will do so here to open up the gates. We're going to go through my favorite trades of the 2022 offseason. I rank them 1 through 10 with some notable mentions after that. Probably not the order you'd all put it in, but I have my reasoning and I discussed that here in the first segment. Today's episode is also brought to you by Dynasty Owner. It's fantasy football time, especially dynasty fantasy time when it's a year-long process. Dynasty Owner uses real NFL average salaries, and as they change, you have to update your roster accordingly to manage the salary cap properly. Tons of bells and whistles, tons of customizations. It is kind of the all-encompassing Everything you want, Dynasty Fantasy System, one of the premier systems on the internet today. Visit DynastyOwner.com, use code SPOTTRACK20, get yourself $20 off that subscription right now, and get yourself ready for the 2022 NFL Fantasy Football season. All right, I feel like I've abandoned the NFL for the past couple of episodes, and uh, it's purposeful. (laughs) The NBA is vivacious, if that's a word I can use here, literally as I'm recording this segment here. The Twitter sphere is blown up with options declined, options exercised, tenders given, not given, massive point guard trades, and uh, plenty, plenty more. James Harden has opted out. Keith Smith and Scott Allen are working their butts off and all that stuff. And I'm going to have to uh, read the tea leaves and kind of break that stuff down for a later show this week once the dust settles on all of that. But I do want to get to the NFL because... Yes, this is the dead season. Yes, this is kind of the look back season. And that's what I'm going to do here before we have to get to 53-man projections for rosters and some late trades and all that good stuff, which you know happens as training camp approaches. Today, it's going to be trades because the past, I'd say, three off seasons, nothing's been more impactful than veteran, massive blockbuster trades in the NFL. It's rivaling the NBA in that regard, literally as we speak. And it's a really good time to digest some of this. I've ranked it. We all like rankings and lists. You're going to hate most of these rankings because that's just what we're built to do. I I did put a one through 10 here. I've got some honorable mentions. I'm going to try to move this through this as quickly as possible because obviously these are things that have already happened, but maybe you forgot the contract. Maybe you forgot the term. Maybe you forgot the capital that was given up here. And, And all that went into me saying, this is the number one move or this is the number eight move. All the assets combined now and later kind of went in, into my thinking here. So, you know, no need to bury the lead here on what the number one move is. It's obviously Deshaun Watson. We've talked about it at nauseum. I don't even need to get there right now. You know the contract. You know the allegations. We don't know the, the total ramifications yet. That's happening right now as well. Tuesday, Wednesday have been the NFL hearings with him. I assume it won't be long after that that we'll hear some sort of suspension, some sort of indefinite commissioner's list, whatever it's going to be. And then we'll go from there. But the, you know, to assume that he's going to be available for training camp slash preseason slash week one is naive right now. So all the things that went into it. And by the way, I want to continue to remind people and hammer this home. This is what they gave up. The Browns will receive a sixth round pick along with Watson. That sixth round pick is for 2024. Houston bags three firsts, a fourth, a third, Another fourth for the right to pay $230 million for all guaranteed with an indefinite who knows when he's going to step on the field. All right. That's why it's number one. No need to look down that rabbit hole anymore. We've done that plenty. I, I struggle with number two. He's obviously, it's been the offseason of the wide receiver. I was tempted to put one of the wide receiver moves here. I didn't. I went with Russell Wilson because A, boy, did that get overshadowed by the Watson stuff. And, and honestly, quite a bit, you know, of the wide receiver stuff kind of kind of piled on as well. The Russell stuff died down quickly because A, we all kind of expected it. That is the team that we've been talking about for 18 months now, you know, kind of following Peyton's shadow. But 
they also didn't extend him. There was no contract tacked onto it. So there was no, there, there weren't, you know, angles of discussions with this Russell Wilson situation. It simply is he's there. We know the roster. They, they didn't really have to change much more after the Wilson situation. They, you know, many of their free agents or, or to be were already extended in 2021. They had kind of prepared for this moment. So the fact that they didn't extend Russell Wilson, yeah, we're, we're a little bit on our, you know, sitting on our hands waiting for that kind of news next. But I think we're all sort of resigned to the fact that like Matthew Stafford did with the Rams, they're going to play this one out, you know, at a 24, at $24 million cap hit, $24 million cash hip. And barring a disaster, then next off season, Russell will get his big time contract like Stafford just did with the Rams. So it, it, it came and went very quickly, the Russell Wilson move, because of the expectation, because of the lack of money involved. And, you know, we're all in wait-and-see mode on Denver. It's, it's a weird situation with the rest of that division improving markedly, as I'm about to tell you more. But I still think that a quarterback of that girth going to a team that was ready for him, arguably ready for him, should be up here in the top three. And I put it number two is the, is the second biggest trade of this offseason thus far. So number three is Miami Dolphins with, with Tyreek Hill. And that one might surprise you because I think Devontae Adams has a right to be in this conversation um, and a couple other wide receivers as well. But I chose Tyreek simply because of what was given up, both monetarily and from a draft standpoint. The Kansas City Chiefs acquired a first, a second, a fourth, a fourth, and a sixth for the right to the Dolphins to pay him $30 million a year with an asterisk because it's heavily backloaded to make it that way. But look, anytime you can get five picks and you know four of them are within the top 100, maybe 110, you've done something correct. And you didn't lose a quarterback, right? This is a wide receiver. It's a, it's a hell of an athlete in a wide receiver, but it's just a massive haul for a non-quarterback. Massive. Who needed a contract? All, those, all these things combined make it a jarring trade for Miami. And to me, the biggest part about this is that team is still not ready to win a Super Bowl. They got better. I'm not here to stay, say they're not going to be better. They're not going to be contending Buffalo for that division. There's a really good chance they are. But they're not a Super Bowl contender right now. So you make this big swing, and you're probably a year away from being a year away. Still, I still give them credit for doing it. I still think it's the, the kind of player that you go all in for. I just think they weren't ready, but you know, they weren't going to wait for the chiefs. Somebody was going to get Tyree kill this year. The jets were certainly pushing the price up. So I, I get the overpay, but the fact that it was an overpay both contractually and from a draft standpoint, that's the number three trade of the off season for me. And I mentioned Adams. He's fourth. The Raiders acquiring Devonte Adams is fourth. This one feels like fair market value. No, in hindsight, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> What Devontae Adams can bring, and I realize he's been attached at Aaron Rodgers' hip for his career. So who knows, right? We've seen players leave Peyton Manning and be a shell of themselves. And we've seen that with both Brady and Aaron Rodgers over their careers. So can Derek Carr hold up his end of the bargain? Can he find Devontae Adams with the regularity and the accuracy that Aaron Rodgers has over his career so that this thing can sort of just shift gears? Because if that's possible, and I think it is. I think Derek Carr is that kind of quarterback. Now, he's not freakish like the names I just gave you. He's not Hall of Fame freakish. But I think he's accurate enough to find a player who can get himself open like this. So I do think, and that's why it's in my top five, this is a game changer. This is a season changer for a franchise that had gone all in contractually with a lot of other pieces, defensively speaking, right? They, they ended up extending Derek Carr, extending Hunter Renfro after this Adams move. So they knew they were going to be pot committed here. But you have to think that getting Adams in the door was a maybe heading into March. And then when it happened on March 17th to start the league year, everything else kind of fell into place. Like, oh, now we do have to sign Derek Carr. Now we do have to sign some of these offensive pieces. Now we have to be a little bit more aggressive this offseason to continue to round this thing out quickly because Devontae Adams is 30, right? We just gave him three years guaranteed, 65 over that. So. We have to kind of accelerate our process. And that's what we saw with the Raiders. I know they're in a bonkers division and a team with like Denver who just, you know, nearly top of this trade list with their move this offseason. But they, uh, they're going to come out gunslinging. There's no question about it. This is a move that puts you forward. 
divisionally speaking and conference speaking, they're going to be in the conversation. I think that the contracts they gave out this year were, were excellent and there are outs. All these things can be punted on from a guarantee standpoint after one or two years. We've talked about that a lot with the Raiders. That's how these players want it. That's how the teams want it. There's kind of a mutual agreement that we're, it's sort of like the Pittsburgh model. We're happy to pay you big in year one because if we need to move on here, we have to do it. We got to continue to keep this train rolling. So I think the move is excellent. I think three years of Devonta Adams with Derek Carr can work and we'll see what kind of divisional prowess they can show. Number five, this was really tough for me because I, I didn't want to go three quarterbacks in the top five and I, and I was forced to. Okay, This is Matt Ryan. And Matt Ryan would have been higher if Matt Ryan had gone to Denver. That's kind of the way I looked at this. I'm just not, I'm not yet sold on Indy's weapons from a passing standpoint. And I'm going to be proven wrong at some point because they're going to add somebody. But, you know, even them adding like a Julio Jones, that's not going to do it for me. I'm just not sure what kind of gas he's got left in the tank. Certainly there's a relationship with Ryan, so there'd be some sort of give and take there. They've got a lot of young weapons who A, can't stay healthy, and B, just haven't taken that step, mostly because of health. But if that happens, right, if this thing all comes together and everybody's playing 15 to 17 weeks here, and, you know, your Paris Campbells and those kind of players do step forward here, well, then what are we talking about? Because Matt Ryan's accurate. Matt Ryan's not going super deep here. It's going to be dink and dunk. There's going to be a lot of offensive plays to go with a, a running game that has already given this team a lot of offensive plays. They should be lulling defenses to sleep. They should be controlling possession all season long. And they're in a division where I think they can roll. So I just give this team a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of credit here for making this move now after the disaster that was Carson Wentz, after giving up tons of draft capital for that, somehow getting more draft capital back for Carson Wentz and shipping it off to, to Atlanta to bring Matt Ryan on board and then actually sweeten it in his contract just a bit. He's, he's fully guaranteed here through next season. So this is a two-year plan. And that syncs up with some of these rookie contracts, by the way. So from a team-building roster construction standpoint, this is a slam dunk. That's why it made my top five. I'm just not ready to say, look, he's got a great set of weapons, and he's going to be going 5,000 yards and 35 to 45 touchdowns, and, and the Matt Ryan of old can kind of round into form because this is a team ready to go. It's a team that's going to win ballgames, I just don't think that it's going to be a high-flying passing offense that Matt Ryan is going to have to be running. They have Jonathan Taylor. They have plenty of other options. They're going to use, you know, Naeem Hines out of the backfield for dink and dunk stuff. It's going to be a methodical, wear you down type offense from what I can assess. And because of what, you know, the age of Matt Ryan, that makes sense to me. So it's Philip Rivers 2.0 should be a better version of what Philip Rivers was able to do with this offense. That's, that's my assessment here. Number six, boy, in hindsight, this one looks bonkers, bonkers. The Browns acquired Amari Cooper from Dallas for a fifth round pick. That is the end of the sentence. <laughs> okay. Yes. They owe him $20 million this year. And there's three years and 60 million left in that contract. And that sounds ridiculously bad, right? But there's absolutely nothing guaranteed. After this year, yeah, they converted most of the, of the salary into, into signing bonus for cap purposes this year. So he's certainly locked in at one for 20. That's it. I mean, yeah, there's dead cap now from the conversion, but they, they can walk away from this thing as quickly as possible. So it was always a one for 20. It was not a three for 60. But look, if he fits, if he's the true number one with whoever the hell's throwing the ball there, and we'll get to that in a second, then this is a fine contract for a 28-year-old wide receiver. It's fine. So to get him for a fifth after everything else we've just talked about, with three years of term left, it's one of the best moves the Browns made in a long, long time. There's no question about it. It is. They struck early. They struck before this thing kind of got, got going. Yeah, Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams were on the move. This trade was reported March 16th. Tyreek was the 17th, or, Ty or Devontae was the 17th, and Tyreek was just after that. So things got bonkers, and it started with Amari Cooper. So they were able to set the market at a fifth-round pick, right? And there was a swap of six after that. So I don't mean to leave that out. It's just a, a, a pick swap, essentially. But that's extremely good value for a, you know what they believe they can get out of Amari Cooper, which is Jarvis Landry and then some, right? They saved a ton of cap and cash on, on punting on Jarvis Landry, 
and just rolled this contract into it with term, a contract with term at about the same price for a fifth round pick. It's excellent. It's excellent. It probably deserves top five credit, but you know, the Tyreek stuff and the Devante stuff that was too flashy to leave out. There's just too much built into those. And I have to give the quarterback stuff their due because I want veteran quarterbacks to continue to move. When the situations run dry in their current franchise, rather than have teams try to, you know, fill eight holes around a quarterback, let's just move the quarterback. I I love this process. I love it for the game. I love it for the transactional part of it. I think it's really good for the sport. And a lot of times it makes a hell of a lot more sense than trying a team trying to rebuild on the fly immediately. Unless, of course, you're talking about, you know, a, a, a dead set first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback that you just, it just doesn't make good marketability sense to move on from. You know, it took forever to get Tom Brady out of town. It took, it's, they're never going to get Aaron Rodgers out of town. He's going to retire before they move on at this point. So I, I just think that there are certain instances where that's off limits. But look at Russell's a Hall of Famer. Deshaun was on a Hall of Fame path before whatever happened here. So we're seeing some legitimate Matthew Stafford's a Hall of Famer according to his consistent numbers. I don't know if he gets there, but you know, Matt Ryan's probably in this conversation. That they've all been moved. <laughs> they've all been moved via trade. It's really good for the sport. So I'm gonna give those kind of moves as much credit as possible on my silly little stupid podcast list here. Number seven. I mentioned it before. Uh it's it's seven and not fifteen. Because it's just entertainment. The, the commanders acquired Carson Wentz from the Colts, who basically came out <laughs> after last season, like an hour after last season, and said, yeah, we messed that one up. We, uh, we got to get rid of this guy. He's not our guy. Basically out loud, coach GM owner said, yeah, we're, not, we're, we are, uh, we're all set with the Carson stuff. So we're going to move on from this. And his guaranteed salary and his $15 million more that was about to become guaranteed Instead of, you know, quietly, quietly deciding behind the scenes, oh, we're going to try to figure this out. They publicly said, we're, we're moving on, even though, you know, there's all this money involved. And Washington still gave up a, a conditional second round pick. <laughs> I don't know. Was there a bidding war? Were there five teams vying for Carson Wentz on March 17th? I still, I still don't understand it. Why then? Why immediately? And why that pick? I, I mean, I know Baker Mayfield's had a rough couple of years here, but you tell me you wouldn't take on Baker's 18 right now for a seventh round pick instead of second round pick 28 million Carson Wentz? Really? I, I just can't. I, I don't have that kind of mindset. Carson is inaccurate. His decision making has gone down and down every year. He's the worst possible veteran quarterback situation you would want, in my opinion. I'd rather have a guy who can't throw the ball, but knows exactly where it should be every time and can make the throw every time, right? Because like in Matt Ryan, if, okay, you're not making the 40-yard passes anymore. You're making 18 to 20s. You can build an entire offense around an accurate 18, 20-yard passing game. And they will. Indy will. They've been doing it for the last two years. They tried to do it last year with a guy who can throw 40, and he wasn't accurate enough to make the 18-yard pass. So they've already fixed their problem. Washington completely bailed them out and handed them a free second-round pick to add to their great roster already. It's bonkers. It's nutsville. It may work for Washington because I think Washington as a franchise just needs a little crazy all the time. And they certainly signed up for more of it here. So it's seven because of the craziness, because of the, I just don't understand who they were bidding against. Why did they have to give that kind of pickup with a $28 million salary to boot? But look, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this thing positive. If it works, if Carson has his resurgent, you know, Renaissance year and comes back into 2017, 18 Carson Wentz, there's three years left in this contract. So it could be a value contract. It won't. This will not work. And it'll be a, a major flop. And, you know, version 3.0 of Carson Wentz should be the last at that point. Number eight. People may have forgotten about this one, but you're not going to soon once games actually start to get on TV here. The Chargers acquired Khalil Mack from the Bears for a couple of mid picks. And, you know, there's some salary stuff that was basically classifying him as an overpay right now. And I get it. The health has been a problem. He has declined as a freakish pass rusher, but he's still a great option out there. And I think he's been given the opportunity to get healthy, to get right. And this change of scenery should really help him mentally because obviously being in Chicago was a bit of a downer for a while there. So look, he's not a number one. You put him out there as the best option for Jacksonville or Chicago. 
and you're going to see a lot more of what we've been seeing from him lately, which is he's trying a little to do a little bit too much, and that leads to injury. That's not going to have to happen here because Joey Bosa is going to be sitting on the other side of that line. Derwin James is going to be supporting him from the back, and there's a lot of great inside linebacker, off-ball linebacker play on this Chargers defense that they've added or have had over the past couple of seasons. It's a really well-run, well-coached defense. And he's going to be a guy. He's not going to be the guy. He's going to be a guy. And having Khalil Mack be a guy, sort of like Vaughn Miller has been for the past few years, is just going to be special. Now, this is going to be a special defense. I'm not going to bet the Chargers because I've bet them like four straight years, and they've, they've killed me by training camp every single year because of a dozen injuries. But they're in that kind of classification right now with the offense that they put together, the consistency of the players they've been able to bring back on that side of the ball. And now this, this is the kind of move that becomes, you know, the 90% puzzle piece that you need to get yourself to the top of one of the best defenses in all of football. That's what this can be here. That's what this can be. Adding JC Jackson and adding Khalil Mack this offseason. Huge, huge fits for, for the Los Angeles Chargers. There's three years, 64 million left on Mac's contract, but all that can go away after 2022. You get out of it after this year, they did a bit of a conversion for cap purposes because they are bringing back a lot of bodies this offseason. So one and done can happen if they can kind of resuscitate him a little bit. There's plenty of term left to make this thing stick for a while. Number nine, the Eagles acquire wide receiver A.J. Brown from Tennessee. Look, if you root for Philly here, or even if you're a Tennessee fan who kind of lived through this process on draft day, you think this is top five at least, right? And I get it. It's a huge move. The reason it's here is I just don't know that it was necessary. <laughs> and that's, that's the problem I have with this. Um, not in a Carson Wentz type way, because I think AJ Brown is a hell of a player and one of the top 10 to 15 wide receivers in football at, when he's healthy. And there's been that lately. But the pick they gave up for became Tennessee's replacement for him from Traylon Burks. So we're going to have a very clear left and right, yin and yang here, to be able to compare this exact trade to for the next four seasons or so, right? Because what happened is Tennessee gets Traylon Burks. He's guaranteed $14 million over the next four years. A.J. Brown, four picks, gets $57 million guaranteed over the next three years. So it's kind of like swinging for the fences when you could have just had a bunt single to keep the inning going. And, you know, Philly may have just been fine. You know, they could have gotten by with another tra- a trail in Burks to add to the kids and given Jalen Hurts another option. And if that option can get himself open enough, $14 million over four years is a hell of a good value. I- I'm not sitting here saying that what they've done is incorrect. I love when teams do this. I think they knew they were young that they knew they needed maybe a, a veteran experienced player in, in the house. And they didn't go and get a 30-year-old. They went and got a rookie extension candidate from a team that didn't want to pay him market value. And they gave him market value. They gave him 25 a year underneath the tier of the Devonta Adams, Tyreek Hill situation. They reset the rookie extension market with a player that they think is young enough, strong enough, athletic enough, and experienced enough to sit on top of these great rookie wide receivers that they have and just kind of carry them through this process. It's brilliant from all that regard. All I'm saying is, I don't know if it was necessary. That's all. 57 million guaranteed versus 14 million guaranteed. It's a huge gap. If Traylon Burks is a superstar with Tennessee, that's going to be the conversation here. That's going to be what we take away from this trade. But I love the move. I love the guttiness of it. I love the all-in approach to building a roster around Jalen Hurts that gives him the best chance to succeed. There's a lot of reasons to really approve of what we saw on draft day. Number 10. The Bills acquire quarterback Case Keenum from the Browns. There's a lot of reasons this is here. Um, Number one, the Bills needed it. They lost Mitchell Trubisky to free agency, obviously. I believe he'll be the week one starter for Pittsburgh. So they, they had a huge hole behind Josh Allen, and that's never good, right? And I'm not here to say that Case Keenum can step in and replace Josh Allen in any kind of capacity that is Josh Allen type. They're two very different human beings. There's no question about that, all right? But, you know, when Trubisky walked, all the news locally here in Buffalo were, all right, we're going to bring back Tyrod Taylor. We're going we're to toss Ryan Fitzpatrick back on this roster for his swan song. It's going to have, you know, some emotion tied to it, and there'll, there'll be viable options to back up Josh Allen. Well, that's not what Brandon Bean did. 
Brandon Bean was much more aggressive. He took much more stock in this opening. And he went to Cleveland, a rival AFC team, and said, we'll give you a seventh round pick for your backup quarterback, which, you know, fine. I think a lot of teams which would take a seventh round pick for their backup quarterback right now, except it's Cleveland. All right. And everything I had to talk about at the top of this segment and everything we've talked about for the past two months, this is the part of it that maybe not enough people are talking about as well. This is another addition to the Cleveland Browns quarterback situation. Because if this trade had not happened, if Brandon Bean had not fleeced the Browns for a nothing throwaway pick to get Case Keenum in, and oh, by the way, the Browns paid Case Keenum's $1 million roster bonus. So they paid him a million dollars to go to Buffalo. Now Buffalo's still got to pay him two and a half, okay? (laughs) Which is fine for a backup quarterback. The Browns gave away Case Keenum to a rival AFC team in Buffalo, the rival, the, the favorite AFC team, knowing this was after. This happened the day after the Cleveland Browns acquired Deshaun Watson. So they bring in Watson. They know they have to get rid of Baker Mayfield, but they trade Case Keenum instead. That same day, they signed Jacoby Brissett. And I'm not here to crap on Jacoby Brissett anymore. Okay? So again, here's the timeline. They acquired Deshaun Watson on March 17th. On March 18th, excuse me. They trade Case Keenum on March 19th. They sign Jacoby Brissett on March 19th. Jacoby Brissett gets $5 million almost with incentives. He'll get plenty more than that because he's going to play. Case Keenum would have gotten $4 million. They paid him one to go away. The Bills get him for two and a half. Okay? So clearly it was about getting Brissett in the house instead of having Case Keenum. That's fine, except Case Keenum has experience in this offense. Two years worth of it. He played for Baker during those injuries. And by the way, he outplayed Baker a lot of times, a lot of weeks. Case Keenum is not a full-time starting quarterback. He's not. But knowing the situation you had just traded yourself into, okay? Deshaun Watson, pending suspension. You knew it was coming. You knew the Baker stuff was going to be ugly unless you just don't understand the way business works. You knew that was going to get ugly because you had done this backwards. You had brought in his replacement before you have gotten rid of Baker Mayfield. And clearly you didn't have a suitor. Maybe you thought you had a suitor in Seattle or Carolina, but they weren't willing to pay the 18 then. And they're certainly not willing to pay the 18 now. So they knew they were stuck with Baker. And they still gave the Bills Case Keenum for nothing, for a throwaway pick. A throwaway pick plus a million dollar roster bonus. I don't get it. Jacoby Brissett may have a great six, six to 10 to 12 weeks or whatever he's going to be asked to play. He may. He may round back into the, that, that flash in the pan quarterback he was for Indy when they ended up extending him after the Andrew Luck situation. Jacoby Brissett has had the worst situation ever in his career. He has been the will take you guy for two complete bonkers situations. Andrew Luck suddenly retires in September and Deshaun Watson is acquired with the, with the full assumptive knowledge that he's not going to play football that year. Okay, well, we'll take Jacoby Brissett. He'll play football this year. Why wouldn't you just keep Case Keenum? The guy knows the offense. Sure, he's limited. But you want a guy who can just manage a game and toss the ball around and hand it off to your, your two great running backs for a couple of weeks and try to keep you afloat in the AFC? What was the thought process there? Why did you need to shake up everything when you had this stable, vet, experienced vet who already knew your offense? It makes no sense to me. I won't understand it, but good for the Bills. Capitalizing on this situation, probably in the middle of all this chaos. The Browns didn't realize they were getting Deshaun until they went with that overoffer, and he said yes immediately, obviously. And then they probably had to shuffle. They, they got caught in their own chaos, and this was part of it. We're not going to need Case. We can sign a free agent. So they took a seventh-round pick for Case Keenum. It's bonkersville to me. That's why it's in the top 10. Good for Buffalo, bad for Cleveland. Maybe I'll eat my words, but I think that was an, it's an underrated move that dis, further disrupted a, an AFC rival in Cleveland from Buffalo. A couple of honorable mentions, and I'll get out of here. Uh, the Hollywood Brown to Arizona move, it should be great. Uh, obviously, it was necessary with the DeAndre Hopkins suspension here, which is going to be appealed and may get reduced slightly. He needs a contract. He's in the conversation of these you know, 22 to $25 million per year guys with, with DK and Debo and Deontay Johnson, he's there. I mean, we could have four more wide receiver contracts before camp starts. It's very possible. 
Uh, Robert Woods, the Tennessee, you know, we've kind of seen these players go to Tennessee and not have great careers. So I'm, I'm reluctant to say that that's going to be a great move, but he's going to catch some balls. I mean, Tannehill likes to throw that kind of ball over the middle and they don't really have a tight end option that's worthy of the, the middle of the field. So hopefully he can be able to still be a slot option for them and he's healthy enough to go out there and play 17 weeks. And then I actually like this one quite a bit. Devontae Parker to, to the Patriots. Miami obviously had a surplus when they acquired Tyree Kill. Uh, so they didn't get great value back to ship him out of town. But that's New England's win. You know, you toss him above the Nelson Aguilar and, and uh, you know, the Jacoby Myers situation. There's, there's some players there that can catch the ball for sure if Mac Jones can continue to progress. But now you got a veteran in the room. This is like a mini version of the A.J. Brown to Philadelphia conversation, even though there's a couple of vets on that New England roster. But it's an upgrade for sure for New England. So it's got to be on this list, as I mentioned. All right. Quick discussion on Major League Baseball with Cousin Dan, and we're out of here this week. All right, Dan, some news broke up really in the past 48 hours from Dodgerland. And this one's kind of been building up. And then, you know, the Dodgers went to Atlanta and Freddie Freeman got his ring from the Braves and a lot of emotions. And that was all to be expected. And then we got this backlash. We got this kind of like second wind from Atlanta that Freeman fires his agent, longtime agent, Casey Close. Um, what the hell happened here? Because this turned from super awesome. I, you know, I had a, a great career here. I just miss it. And, you know, I'm sorry I had to move on. All those things that we always hear from veterans that leave longtime franchises to go to a better team for more money, which is exactly what this was. And now there's all this regret. And there's, I hate my agents. And I don't know if this contract was right for me. And I don't even know if I belong with the Dodgers. It's it's loud. It's weird. What is going on here with Freddie Freeman and the Dodgers slash Braves? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I can't ever remember any any situation really like this. I mean, we've seen beloved players return to you know previous franchises, get the ovation, get teary eyed. But um, literally, it was it was the whole weekend. Uh, every time he stepped up, basically in the field, um, the post game conferences, it was. Um, it was definitely a unique situation. And I, I think like you had said, the agent stuff makes it even more interesting after the fact, I think we all kind of have a feeling that um, he wanted to be back in Atlanta at this point. And um, maybe they, you know, maybe the whole market idea going to the free agent market, testing the waters, trying to get the biggest contract, maybe that got the best of them. Um and it went south to the point where Atlanta moved on and he mm -hmm. ended up in a different place that he didn't necessarily want to be. Not, I mean, it, let's be frank. It worked out for him. He signed a massive contract still, but um, if, if his heart was in Atlanta, he wanted to get it done in Atlanta, um, but just wanted a fair deal. Then, you know, it, it, it should have happened. It feel, it feels like we were all cheated out of this, including him as well. This is, this is definitely about team and not about money, right? Oh, I think so for sure. Yeah. I, um, I, I've listened to enough that it sounds to me like the, the longer this went on, the more it was apparent that maybe the Braves weren't comfortable, um, yeah. comfortable going there, which is a little bit conflicting to think about from, you know, he, he's like the perfect player. It's not that, like, this is this guy that they had a ton of question marks. Uh, really the only question mark was, do you want to play, pay a first baseman? um, that kind of money going into his late thirties. But I, if you're going to do it, why wouldn't you do it with a guy that is beloved there and just won a world series for your franchise? So yeah. Before we dive into some more details, I want to jump on what you just said, because obviously everybody knows here, I'm a Mets apologist and I watch way too much Mets baseball and Mets broadcast. Um, and I'm biased, but I think it's one of the best broadcasts in all of baseball, what the Mets offer here. And part of that broadcast is Keith Hernandez. And he is not shy about criticizing slash promoting slash complimenting first baseman in the league. Obviously he's got that right. Okay. And there was not a game against the Freddie Freeman based Atlanta Braves that he did not make multiple comments about how, about the personality, the character, the defensive ability, obviously the bat and, and what he does at the plate. But you're right, Dan, this guy was the whole package. He's talking to everybody at first base when they get down there for the walk. He's doing all the little things that you love out of a first baseman, and that contributes to your team. And I'll transition that into this, because this is something you brought to my attention. And now Ken Rosenthal's great piece in The Athletic this morning 
just reinforced it with some numbers. The Braves are one of two teams, two franchises that are that are owned by a corporation. It's the Braves and the Blue Jays. Because of that, they are required to report their earnings for the team on a given year. It's part of the being a publicly traded team, uh, corporation, right? You've got to actually display your itemized revenue. So we know publicly that the Braves made almost $570 million last season for Liberty Media, the ownership group, which is huge, way more than they generally make, right? And, and, and Freeman was one of, the, one of the assets. He's one of these major assets, right? And because they're publicly, publicly facing numbers, Dan, and that everybody saw, hey, this company just made so much more than they generally make off the Braves, they were, they were positioned to spend. You know what I mean? Like they had the money in their back pocket. They felt like they had to spend it. There was pressure internally to spend the money that they just made from that World Series run, not only to keep the team relevant, but also because it's good for business, right? Cash in, cash out. You know how that stuff works from a business perspective. So they actually raised their payroll $45 million this year from 131 to 177 in terms of opening days over the past two years. So they did it. They spent, but they didn't spend it on Freeman. And this is where I think you can come in with, with, our combined philosophy, which is we think the Braves did exactly what they wanted to do. This was the plan all along. Am I, am I correct in assuming that's how you think here? Yeah. Yes. In short, yes. I don't want to project too much like, like the evil empire on them. And they, <laughs> you know, they, they were out to get, you know, Freddie Freeman and this is how they wanted to do it. I don't think, I don't think you, I, I'm not saying you're saying that. I'm just want to clarify that, that that's what we're not trying to say here, that it, it was just, if they're a team run like a business in the smart, historically, the smart business decision is to not pay a player like that. I could see them having hesitation, you know, because otherwise it's like the most, it seemingly is the most low risk signing. Like if he ages poorly into his late thirties, no one in Atlanta is going to say, screw Freddie Freeman. We wish we never did that deal. He's still a beloved player there. I I would assume they're still going to worship him unless he really falls off a cliff. So this reeks of a business, you know, a, a team owned by a corporation being run as a business mm-hmm. um, and a, that team making a business decision. And like, you can argue whether Matt Olson, um, you know, reallocating that, though, that salary towards Matt Olson was the right choice or not. I think it was still a smart choice, but again, it's a free agent contract. They had to make trades to, sorry, not a free agent contract. It's an extension and yep. they had to make a trade um, and give up prospects to get him. So, I mean, you can argue the value of, you know, should they have just kept Freeman at the end of the day for a somewhat similar contract? I mean, it'll, it'll be an interesting comparison through their careers, right? Four prospects given up. They handed away 168 fully guaranteed to Matt Olson through age 35, and then they hold the team option through age 36. Freddie Freeman got six for 162 that takes him through, through age 37 with the Dodgers. That's the breakdown. And the report is that the Dodgers in, 20, in August of 2021, excuse me, the Braves, offered a five-year, $135 million extension. That would have taken him through age 36. So it would have aligned with the Olsen stuff, basically. It still would have been 27 a year, which is what he ended up with from the Dodgers. But he got that extra year through age 37. I think he's looking at all of that, right? All, that, all those comparisons and saying, what the hell were we thinking? And that's why these agents got fired. Because five for 135 versus six for 162 is, yes, $27 million. But in the grand scheme of things, Dan, right, knowing that they had to go, go above and beyond and spend a little cash, A, I get the Braves for not doing it. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you, do you agree with the yeah, Braves not I, going six for 162? Uh, so for, if you want to split it out from a business perspective, yeah. yes. But if I'm an Atlanta fan, if I'm a Braves fan right now, I'm flipping out that they, that, I mean, it, again, it's comes with caveats because Matt Olson is a very good player and that contract is probably going to work out well for them. But from a fan perspective where yeah. like, there's very little, um, it, it's really hard to attach. Or How do I want to put this? It, it's really hard to like invest emotionally when it's kind of a revolving door on rosters at this point. Yep. Like when you have that guy there and he goes somewhere else to the, you know, in this case to LA for a sort of similar contract, I, as a fan am losing it over that, but no, 
from a team perspective, I don't think it was a bad move on their part, but I mean, you know, again, that's, it comes down to an emotion factor. I think I just, I think Freddie Freeman is a great player. It was a good situation, low risk for Atlanta, but they, you know, they must've seen something or maybe they knew something that, you know, you know, it's, it's easy just to look at the contracts and the ages and say, all right, well, obviously the Braves upgraded here, but when you bring the four prospects into the conversation, that's a lot, Dan. And two of those guys were ready to play right now. Christian Passion, Shailene, they were ready. They were, they were Major League Baseball ready. Maybe didn't have a spot on this Braves roster because they're so deep right now from a Major League Baseball perspective. But you, you understand what I'm saying. They, they, that was a lot to give up, in my opinion, for Matt Olson and then having to turn it into an eight-year contract. If I just do a quick and dirty three-month analysis statistically, Dan, Freddie Freeman's double the war right now in 2022. 2.4 versus Matt Olson's 1.2. You know what I mean? So you were getting probably three years of this, this Freddie Freeman. And then if you had to chop off two years and make him a full-time DH or whatever it was going to be, so be it. But I'm with you, Dan. I I think some decisions are better for the franchise off the field than they are on the field. And this was one of them. I think they messed up. Even though Matt Olson is a perfectly fine replacement and they had it lined up and they knew exactly what they were doing from a business standpoint, I think they overthought this one. Yeah, I I can't disagree with you. And I mean, I don't blame the agents for like trying to entertain other, you know, loop in other teams. And really, we did sort of see the marketing side of this, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. there were probably four teams that were really, uh, you know, included in rumors with him being a return to Atlanta, the Dodgers where he landed, the Yankees, just because they're big time spenders. And I would probably throw um, the Padres into that when like every time they played each other or were near each other, you know, you saw the Freddie Freeman son loves Fernando Tatis. Like it, it almost, there was like almost this, um, like current of like expectations that he could then go to San Diego or LA or all these, you know, LA was his home or California. He's from California. So like, I don't blame the agency for going that route, but it does sort of feel like they overplayed their hand here. And, um, I, you know, Part of it is probably Atlanta had had some motive to maybe they wanted to move on. Some of it maybe the way it played out in terms of them not really circling back with them and Freddie Freeman kind of feeling blindsided by the whole Matt Olson trade was that 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 window was probably closing. I suspect that Oakland had other deals. They yeah. wanted to make a move and they forced Atlanta's hand. And Atlanta said, well, we don't have anything hard with Freeman and we're going to lose our next best option. So we have to make a move. But really, we might not know until, you know, the book is written or Freddie Freeman makes his return to Atlanta, which seems inevitable, right? At some point late in his career. I mean, it's got to (laughs) happen. Two other quick points. A, when you talk about the tax stuff, he didn't really make much more money. (laughs) Right. Okay. I just want to get that out there. I am aware of that. I'm not... I'm not dodging that fact. I understand that California tax rates are bonkers and that the 162 is probably going to look more like 140 at the end of the day, right? So that, there's that. And that net value is part of this conversation. But also, he went to the Dodgers, Dan. <laughs> you know? And I just think that's the part of this. It's, it's still a crazy kind of weird story because players generally don't do this. They don't get this mad and fire agents after landing 162 million with maybe the best team in all of baseball, arguably, at least the national league to some degree. Right. I mean, this is, this is a team. This isn't the Marlins. This isn't the pirates. He didn't take the biggest dollars from, you know, the worst team available. He got, I think his high, the highest price tag from maybe the best team available. And that's still where we are at the end of the day. So, he's going to be able to turn this around, right? Because I, honestly, I don't even know where this, where this lands right now. The Dodgers are kind of a mess as a whole right now. Is this just going to be business as usual? Or do you think that, because I know you were just joking about eventually he, he goes back to Atlanta. Can, can he stick with, with the Dodgers here long-term? Because the Clayton Kershaw quotes, some of that stuff, it feels like he's already been alienating that roster. It's a good question. I do think it's way too early to make that assessment. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I'm talking like in twilight. Yeah. The Albert uh, Pujols stuff. I get you. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. And I know you get that. I'm, I, I'm just, it's, 
the more we talk it out, it really had to have been a situation where Freeman says, you know, maybe I don't want to get involved with it. You agents do your agent thing, whatever you have to do to shop the contract around. But at the end of the day, I want to be in Atlanta and it didn't happen. So despite him getting probably the biggest deal he could have on the free agent market, he has this bitterness towards the process that mm-hmm. didn't get him back where he wanted to be at the end of the day. So that, that I mean, like you've said, it's not, this is not some mom and pop agency that he tried out or he self-represented or represented by his uncle or something crazy. You know, he, this isn't, this is a legitimate agency that represents the biggest stars in the game. And he had to have felt slighted for some reason. And, and I suspect that's it. Do you think he's, do you think the reason he fired his agents is simply that they didn't take the five for one thirty five in August of 2021? Um, Yeah, I mean, it's probably easy for him to, you know, kind of hindsight look at it and say, we should have just done that and avoided all the, you know, the. Can I ask you another question? Because it's been kind of disputed and you've heard you, you listen and read a lot more than I'm able to. Did Atlanta even make him an offer in free agency? Uh, is, is Is it possible that they did not, Dan? Is it possible that the August offer was there? for a few months and then they ripped it because the Matt Olson stuff was already in motion. The second the off season hit. Yeah, maybe I, I don't, somebody listening might know better closer to the situation, but I, I, I haven't heard anything formal after the initial offer. So whether that was just like a, here's our offer, it's the best we can do, take it or leave it. And they wanted to shop it more. Yep. I not a hundred percent on that, but it would make sense for sure. So it's not comparable because of age to some degree and because, well, I, I mean, it's a lot more comparable than it is. And I should say it this way, but doesn't the fact that Aaron judge has already come out and said, I'm going to free agency. Doesn't it solve everything? <laughs> because now if he returns to the Yankees, it's like a hero's welcome. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, he picked us. He, he's going to stay with us. He's going to be here for life. It's like this grand entrance. And if he doesn't, it's going to be, well, he warned us. Do you know what I mean? Like he, right. he put it out there to kind of protect everything else around him. You know what I mean? And, and if, if, it go, if he goes left or if he goes right, it's all going to be, we get it. Because we, he has publicly said, there's a situation where I'm going to take other offers. Versus the Braves, and you've said this to me a couple times now, the Braves seem to have all the control of the situation with Freddie Freeman, all of it. And Freddie Freeman never came out and said, I, you know, I'm hoping for a great contract or, or, or I'm, I'm just assessing my offers. He I felt like he was bouncing around like a ping pong ball here and, and ended up in the, at, the, at, the, at the best table with the highest price tag, which just happens to be a, a great team. But it, the judge stuff just seems so much cleaner and so much healthier, right? And, and I wonder if that's not going to be something that some of these other free agents to bees are going to see and understand versus... I'm just trying to think in my head, Dan, who could be the next Freddie Freeman? Who could be the next player that their team simply doesn't want him back? You know? I guess I don't know. I thought where you were going to go with it was like Jose Ramirez. We sort of just saw this play out where he just told his agent, get it done get with it Cleveland. Done. I like it there. And yep. like, I, I like, is Cleveland sexy? No. It, like, is it some place everyone desires to live for their whole life? No, but he obviously felt comfortable there. He's a leader. He's in a prime spot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, we, we talk about this, you know, a lot of times, like there's, there's a price on the intangible aspect of being where you want to be. And like, really, once you're making hundreds of millions of dollars, like what's another $20 million on top of it to go somewhere that you're, you might be losing, or you might, you might not get a commitment from the organization that they want to contend. So, I mean, easy for me to say, it's not my bank account, but I, I think you know where I'm trying to go. With I do. It. So, yeah. So, I mean, we saw this sort of play out simultaneously with Jose. It was just way less public. Right. And so, yeah, the judge thing, I, I, I do. I know we've kind of analyzed it. Is it good? Is it bad that they went public that he's, you know, he's expressed frustration that they went public, but I think it's sort of, you know, on the flip side of him announcing, I'm going to go to free agency. It sort of covers the team. Totally. If he does walk, I mean, yeah, Yankee fans are not going to be happy if they let him get away, but at least like he announced it and he's not holding the team hostage. Like totally. I really want to be with the Yankees. I really want to be with in New York and don't want to go anywhere else. He's at least open to other options. And at the end of the day, the Yankees might say, listen, we liked him. We made a very competitive offer, but other teams just went more than we were comfortable with in terms of length and term or whatever it might be. So, 
it's definitely something sitting out there, you know, and, and for some of these other friends, look at all, all sports kind of go through this, you know, you got a guy for 12 to, tw you know, 12 plus years and he just becomes the face of that franchise, you know, and, uh, it's, it's ugly. Tom Brady walked for nothing. Bryce Harper walked for nothing. You know what I mean? It's just, I feel like nobody really knows the right way to do this, but I, it does feel like what Aaron judge has done here could be something that other, other players should model. Which yeah, is, sorry. Is it Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, please go ahead. Jump in. No, I was just going to say that not to cut you off I, to answer your question directly. Who's the next player? Is it Bogarts? Is that like yeah. the low hanging fruit right now? Yeah, maybe a couple you of know? guys in Boston. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe he doesn't want to be back there, but it's sort of going to be the similar, similar situation. He might want to stay with that core. They might say, yeah, thanks, but no thanks and let him go. So boy, it could be Dansby Swanson though, all over again with Atlanta too. Yeah, maybe. And that's why who, you know, who knows there he's have in the middle of a career year. Um, yep. You know, I, if, if that happens a second year in the row, what's going to happen? I, I don't know. And it, there's, there's no emotion there from that organization. It seems like, so um, <laughs> I don't Robot know. Corporations taking over major league baseball. That's the, uh, that's yeah. the takeaway from this segment, Dan. Good stuff, man. Thank you. So awesome. Thanks, Mike. All right. My thanks to Dan. Check him out on SpotTrack.com, breaking down plenty of Major League Baseball stuff and the bet of the week every Friday on the SpotTrack newsletter as well. My thanks to The Athletic. Ken Rosenthal's great piece can be seen on the athletic.com slash Major League Baseball. Visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack first. Get yourself 40% off the first year subscription. Check out DynastyOwner.com. Get your fantasy football gear in order. Use code SpotTrack20. Get $20 off that first registration. And get going on your dynasty system for the 2022 upcoming season. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. Mm -hmm.